please take your seats and if you've got a Bible with you, turn to Colossians chapter 2. In a few moments I'm going to read from verse uh, 13. However, today I've got quite a serious teaching message, but it's not heavy, okay? How many of you would like some things broken off your life that shouldn't be there? I don't know about you, but there are some ingenious inventions at the moment, aren't there? Have you seen that car that limits the speed for which uh, zone, speed zone it's in? So if you go in a 30 mile an hour zone, it only goes 30 miles an hour. Have you seen that car? Uh, Kathy says it's self-controlled, but this one, it's got, it's got like a chip in it that you can... Uh, only go 30 if you're in a 30. If you go to 40, it lets you go 40. If you go in a 50, it lets you go 50. It's an amazing invention. Some of you drivers amongst you, uh, amongst you are going, oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want to be regulated. I don't want to be col- controlled. It might be a safety thing for you. You know what you like? You know, just look at that right foot of yours right now. It's bigger than the left foot. It's heavier, isn't it? You know, my son-in-law... He's, he's like, he's, he's like does weights, and he's got this weight vest. So that he puts that on, and when he pushes up, it's heavier than his normal weight, so that it builds his muscles more. You're not impressed, are you, at all? You know, he's, he's kind of a, a muscly person like that. And um, so there are some things, carrying some weights will do us good. When uh, the Sputnik, which is an old uh, Russian spaceship, came back from the uh, outer space, they learned that they had to build a spacesuit a lot differently because of zero gravity. They had to build elastic in it so that the astronauts would have something to push against, otherwise their muscles would atrophy out in space. Some limitations, some weights that we carry are good for us. They are helping us. They are a discipline to us. But what about those things that we're carrying around subtly or by force that some people have placed on us or out of habit that we've just got used to that are actually hindering us from, from going higher or faster or further that they're actually slowing us down, that they're actually making us a bit of a dead weight around us so that as Christians, they're not helping us at all. I don't know whether you've seen the famous picture. It's been on YouTube this last couple of weeks of an eagle and it's got a big block of ice in its tail feathers. It's quite humorous actually because when they caught the eagle to let it go, you know, they're using this Bunsen burner to, you know, melt the ice. And I'm thinking, the eagle's thinking, careful boys, careful with that. But once the ice block had melted, the eagle could soar as it was designed to soar. I wonder if you've got ice in your feet holding you down. In the 1970s, there used to be a gospel chorus, and it said this, and many of you all know it, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He's the one who always cares and understands. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you will find him. And you'll know him by the nail prints in his hands. And what it meant was, is that even in the dark places of our lives, Jesus is there. And and I get all of that. But I kind of think, what's Jesus doing in the shadows? 
Why don't we bring him out into the light and into the center of our lives so that he can really be the Lord of everything? But I wonder about the shadowy places of your life. I wonder about some of the edges of your life and some of those places that perhaps are not at the center. I wonder what you're carrying there. I wonder what's taken up residence there. I wonder what it is that's holding you back. You're so used to it. It's, I wonder whether that habit, that thing that you don't think you can break, whether that needs to be cancelled today. Whether that needs to go soon. Whether you need to make a decision, I am not carrying this around. Can you hear an amen, church? By the way, I'm going to do a bit of a teaching message today, and some of us will be a bit thoughtful, but at times I want you to feed back to me and say, yeah, you're getting it, okay? So I'm going to be unashamed in asking for your responses today. Is that okay? Okay, that was a test. I just wonder if you're carrying some things. Doesn't Hebrews say... Let us throw off everything that so easily hinders us and sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance for the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let me ask you, just candidly, personally, me one-to-one with you. What do you need to throw off today? That small attitude. That little prejudice. That resistance, that bit of stubbornness that is ingrained in your family, what do you need to cancel? Because I want to teach into cancellation today. Oh man, walking up the stairs, you know, and there's that big image with a hammer going, ah, cancel. I'm sure that that isn't really that welcoming. But we want to smash some things today. Don't you agree, church? That I want to walk out of here a little bit of better than I was when I came in. A lot better. So at the end of our service, I'm actually going to make. I'm going to ask everybody to make a decision and to kind of decide that you're going to cancel some things. There are four areas of spiritual cancellation that we all must go through, and they're very common areas. And I'd like to just teach into those today. Are you there in Colossians? Did you turn there? Colossians chapter two, verses thirteen through fifteen says this. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, and what that phrase, the uncircumcision of the flesh, means, when you had no restraint about the desires and no questions about the desires that you had, that when you lived your life just totally for yourself, that's what that phrase means. God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all of our sins. Woo! I'm so relieved. He forgave all of our sins, having cancelled out the the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. He lifted up all those things that seemed so demonic and evil and said, look how puny you are, really. Look how little power you've got. He made a public spectacle of them by dying and triumphing over them in the cross. This is the basic cancellation that we all need. The cancellation of our wrongdoing. 
our wrongdoing is a fact. And this is what this verse, the real power in this verse means, is that the fact of your wrongdoing, that's what the phrase, our legal indebtedness means. It means that legally, factually, you've done some things wrong. You've thought some things wrong. I've thought some things wrong. How is it that God can take those facts of history, those acts of history that were against him and against others, how can he take those away and cancel them? This is exactly what God does on the cross. Isaiah 53 verse 6 tells us how God does it. It says this in Isaiah 53 verse 6, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let me get a microphone stand here. Thank you. Got the wrong one there. And um, there we go. Let me just explain to you how this works. You see, you have, and I have, I can remember some things that I've done wrong. I can remember some things that have happened. And my life had all these things between me and God. It it had this barrier, this, this block of factual wrong thoughts that I'd thought. Things that I'd done wrong. Things that stood in the way between me and God. And the way that God dealt with that, because when he, this is the power in this verse, is that those things are like a legal case against you. You might say, oh, the police never got me for that. But in heaven, the spiritual case against you was you did those things and those legally stand as a matter of history. And that was blocking you between you and God. But the Bible says, this is Jesus, and and Jesus' relationship with God is completely open, it's completely free, it's completely fair. And what God says is, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, so that he carries all the things that I've done, and now my relationship to the Father is open and free and completely cancelled. Amen? And, then, and that means that you can then have this open relationship with God because this is on Jesus. And Jesus, because he's innocent and perfect, carries it, forgives it, and God forgets it. Amen? Yeah, come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise because that's a spiritual cancellation that every one of us need. And if you've not asked God to say, God, would you take my sin and I'll take your son? Maybe that's something you could do today. Because that's the cancellation that you need, but it actually wipes away your sin. Now, the second area of cancellation that we all need to think about today and give to God is the inherited life that we've received from our family that we, that's been passed on. Basically, the Bible teaches that whilst things can travel through our, through our family to us and can, things can be passed on, 
there were, there's always something that can be done about it. So I just want you to think about the family that you grew up in, whether that was a tough background or the tribe that you've come from and the things that have been placed on you, those things... Some things have traveled to you. Have you seen that um, program on television, Who Do You Think You Are?, where they have celebrities uh, kind of looking back in their history and they find out that they were, come from a bunch of pirates or something, you know, and they go, oh, I didn't know I was like that. We all have things passed on to us from our families. Some of you feel like there's been some curses passed on to you from your tribe or your family. Or things spoken on to you. But what the Bible teaches is, although things travel, there's always something that can be done about it. Peter, talking about the very stronghold type of religion that the Jews had passed on to them, Peter said this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from, with, that you were redeemed from, from the empty way of life handed down from your, from your ancestors. That God has redeemed you from those things handed down to you. Now look, there is a sense in which every one of us has had a negative spiritual transfer. That each one of us being part of the humankind and the human race, we've had a negative spiritual transfer from Adam. In fact, the Bible teaches this, that when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world so that death spread to everyone, so that everyone sinned. We have a tendency to do the wrong thing and join in with it. Now, I know culturally we don't like to talk about ourselves this way, but every single one of us has a tendency that pushes towards doing what isn't perhaps the best. And we push that sometimes so that it becomes even a sin in our lives. But actually, not only are some traits passed down in our family, and think about your family, you know, sometimes you're a bit like your dad or your mom or what have you. There can be some good things passed down in your family. In the Bible, Timothy, do you remember him? Uh, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and it says that the faith that lived in him was passed down from his grandmother Lois and then into his mother Eunice and then transferred into Timothy, how many of you were brought up by Christian parents? How many of you? Just let me just wave at me. Isn't it great that our parents transferred this life-giving faith to us? Isn't that wonderful? I know they dragged you along. And I know sometimes you were bored in church. And I know that you had chewing gum. and 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 by the way, if you've stuck it under our chairs, I'll be after you. And I know that you did all that. But... Actually, they transferred something good to you. But then again, I look at Abraham's life. And I look at Abraham lying about who his wife was, Sarah. And he did it twice, actually. He did it to Abimelech and he did it to another king. And then it isn't surprising that his son Isaac then lied about who his wife was, Rebekah. And then it isn't surprising that later on, their son Jacob deceived Esau. And it isn't surprising then that later on, Jacob's sons lied about their brother Joseph. It's funny how this deceptive streak gets passed on in Abraham's life. And I know he's the hero of faith and all the rest of it, but you have to have a balanced view of things. There's a man in the Bible called Lemech, and it's in Genesis chapter 
uh, Genesis 10, 9 and 10, it tells us, uh, excuse me, in Genesis 4 and 5, it tells us that Lamech bore a grudge from his ancestor Cain and killed somebody because of what was done to Cain. And it's funny, isn't it, how our families can pass things on. Some of the things that you feel are being passed on to you by your family, they need to be cancelled. They need to be cut off. They need to be stopped. Some of you come from uh, cultures where family has to be always honoured, but that honour turns into a pressure and turns into an unnatural obligation. And Bible verses are used to you to say, honor your mother and father. But that honor has now become something that God isn't asking you to do. And some of that things need to be canceled off. What can be a bad influence can come to us so we begin to copy it. But God always points out that whilst we acknowledge these things and even confess these things in our family, if we purpose and say to ourselves, I am purposed not to continue in that, I'm not doing what they did, by that act of confession, you begin to break it. You begin to say, no, that's not me. Jeremiah, the prophet, Nehemiah, the wall builder, and Daniel, the prophet, all confessed on behalf of their nation and their family, and something was broken off their lives. Now, we don't like this teaching today. Some cultures will be much more open to this, but here in Britain, we like to say, no, I'm just about me. And we don't like to think that our families are influencing us at all. But if you confess it, you can break it. Because God nails it to the cross. You see, our family sins can have an influence on us, and this can turn into a spiritual power. My mom, I love my mom to bits, and and she was a great lady in many ways. I was raised by a single parent, so please don't think I'm saying anything bad. But can I just say something honest? My mom was a real gossip. You know... I know she's in heaven now. She's with Jesus. She got saved just before she died. So, but she was a gossip. And we came to a point, Kathy and I, and she, it was just natural for us to gather around and have a good old family gossip about other members in the family. And I grew up that way. Some of you are going, oh, it's my family he's talking about. I'm talking about my family. <laughs> okay, what you do behind closed doors is yours and God's business. Remember, he's watching. Not to be too spooky, but I, we, me and Kathy once said to, we once said to mum, you know what mum, when you're talking about the family, we, we just don't want to join in. Could you just exclude us from that? She was so offended. But by us saying we didn't want to join in, it broke something off our lives. It made us free. She was so upset. In fact, I was 45 years old at that time. He said, oh my kids, I can't trust my kids anymore. I'm thinking I'm 45 mum. If you call it out, if you acknowledge it, if you confess it, you can break it. But let me quickly say, although 
We all have to realize that we've been influenced by our families. We still have personal responsibility. Please don't go home to your mom and dad this afternoon and say, you've messed my life up. It's traveled down the generations and look what you've done to me. Don't do that. The Bible actually teaches, Jeremiah teaches, that uh, it says in those days people will no longer say the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. And what Jeremiah's saying is, is that we have to take our personal responsibility. Now, although these things can travel down our families, they can travel through our tribe, they can travel through our social class, although they can, the power of the cross can break it. Let's go back. Yeah, come on, give him praise. That's fine. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 2. It said, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. And then later on it says, taking them away, having cancelled out the charge of our legal indebtedness. Not just mine, but my whole family. When I got saved, there was something about my line that God is now interested in redeeming. Our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he took it away, nails it to the cross. He breaks it, stops it, so that you don't have to keep living in it. And this is the key to cancelling negative family influence. Number one, confess it. Number two, purpose that you're not carrying on in it. That you're saying, well, that may be them, and they still do it, but I'm not doing it. Jesus said, a slave has no permanent place in the family But a son belongs to it forever. And if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. You can be absolutely free. But you not only cancel these influences by confessing it, purposing that you're not going to carry on with it, but also you have to stop feeding it. You have to stop sowing into it and understand more about the law of sowing and reaping. Put that next slide on for me. We often quote the law of sowing and reaping where you say, you reap what you sow. And what we mean by that is, the things you invest in, they will bring a return for you. Let's read the whole scripture. Galatians 6 verses 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh will reap from that flesh destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We need to understand, not only do we reap what we sow. In other words, let's stop focusing on the negative things that our family put on us. Let's not sow there. Let's start turning our attention and sowing somewhere else. Because here's the other part of the Law of sowing and reaping. Not only do you reap what you sow, we reap where we sow. If you sow into the flesh, you'll reap to the flesh. If you place your efforts in the wrong place, the wrong place will come back to you. You reap where you sow. Also, you will also reap more than what you sow. It may seem that you come from a tough background... 
But if you sow into God, if you sow into the Spirit, God will break the influence of your tough background and give you more redemption and annihilate and alleviate that background from you. You can reap more than you sow if you sow in the right place. And finally, we reap in a different season to what we sow. We don't give up investing and thinking, oh, I'm hopeless, my family's hopeless, they expect too much from me, they're always going to be that way. Don't think that way. Your time is coming. Keep sowing into the right things. Now, it's important we honor our families, but we also need to break the honor that has become a false spiritual pressure and a non-biblical expectation. A non-biblical expectation about our loyalties, our finances, our emotions. Can we hear an amen now? Because as you say amen to that, it will feel difficult for some of you, but you need to start cancelling off some influences. Now, of course, there are some great things about my mom. My mum would fight for me. She'd spend time with me. She'd come and watch me play football. You'd have all these dads along the end of the football. And my mum stood in the middle going, Go on, Mark. Come on, you can do it. Some great things that she passed on. All our families are a mix. Let's break the things off that aren't helping us. Amen, church. There's some curses through your family that you need to say, That's not my curse. Your grandma told me that, but that's not my curse. You take your curse, you put it in a bag, but don't give it to me. Amen? The third area of cancellation that needs to be broken off our lives is offense cancellation. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Cancel the offense that people have done to you and that you feel that you are owed. You have to cancel offense and... Agreed, setting the right boundaries, because if you don't cancel the offense, it twists your spiritual ability to receive, it twists your mind to be able to build relationships. You need to cancel some offenses. They were legitimately done to you. But Jesus told a parable, we've just been a message, we've done a series of messages on parables, and Jesus said this. He said there was an unrighteous manager who was called to account, and yet he was forgiven. And as soon as he was forgiven, because he didn't let the offense go in his heart, he went to someone else and asked them to pay. And he was held to account for that unforgiveness. In fact, if you read the parable carefully, all of his relationships broke down horizontally to other people. He was choking people, and they were angry at him. But also, his relationship with God broke down. In fact, it says at the end of that, this will be how your heavenly Father will treat each of you. And he dismisses that person, if you, unless you forgive your brother and sister from the heart. Unforgiveness is drinking poison to yourself, believing that you're killing someone else. You have to let some people go. Now, they've hurt you. That was legitimately, you, you have the right to be angry, but you have to let that go. 
Because if you hold on to it, it will twist you. And the power of the Spirit in this meeting wants you to take that first step. I was talking to one of our church members earlier. And he's had his works van stolen. And he said, you know, the first thing that I've got to do is forgive those people. He said, I don't agree with it. It's been spotted on the M1 near the Toddington services. He said, but you know what, Pastor Mark, I've been praying for those people who took my van. Because it's got all Christian music in it. I hope they turn the radio on. And it's got a Christian book in And I hope they read it and come to Jesus. He didn't say it like that. He says, I've forgiven them. They've, they've let my van go. I've let them go. And you see, he's walking free because of that attitude. I wonder who you need to let go. That teacher who was mean to you, that parent who said the things, that, that person in your background, is it time for you to say, the despicable things that they've done are no longer my prison. I'm going to live wisely. I'm going to build boundaries. I'm going to make sure it isn't going to happen again. But I am going to let it go. The great irony of the Frozen song, let it go, let it go, is she didn't let it go. That's the great irony of that song. If you watch the film, she's going, let it go, let it go, let it go. And I'm thinking, you're not letting it go. Let it go. In Jesus' name. By his spirit. Come on, preach along with me. Let it go. Come on. It's time. It's time to be free. Let's cancel some things. Last thing. In our culture, we don't like to talk about this, but I want to talk to you about financial cancellation. Can I say to you, just a biblical idea and plant a seed in your mind. And this idea is going to take a while to come to pass. And nobody's expecting this to happen next week. But biblically, you were never meant to have indefinite financial obligations where you take it for granted that you will always owe things. Our culture says... So long as I'm paying my bills and meeting my commitments, I'm okay. And you know what? That is good. It's a good thing. But although that's good, that is only half the package and half the story that the Bible wants you to have. The Bible wants you to actually limit your financial commitments so that God can move you into a different type of life. Now, listen. Let's have no condemnation right now. The Bible actually accepts that most of us, in fact, all of us at some point will carry some debt. I'm going to read to you scripture in Deuteronomy at the moment that just kind of takes that for granted. So most of the people in this room, you'll be carrying something. So can we just all decide that we're not going to be condemned at all? Can we just have a non-condemnation moment? Should we do a turn to your neighbor and say, don't be condemned? Or just lighten up? In fact, tell your neighbor, lighten up a bit. Okay. But do listen. Having a non-condemnation moment actually means, but, but I do want you to hear this. Your financial commitments are supposed to be time limited by what you feel in front of God, not just what other people tell you they should be. You see, what I want you to do is to begin 
a kind of new mindset about your life. It's a biblical mindset. Now, it may take a long term, and it may be impossible for some of you to think this way in, in this kind of next few weeks. But over time, you can say, no, I want to cancel some obligations that the world tell me that I'm supposed to have for a long, long, long time. Is it really right that from the age of 18 to the age of 70 that some people are in debt? Is that God's best plan for you? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1. Look at it from a biblical point of view. It says this, At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Now, biblical thinking is that all of your debts must be time-limited. That you must say to yourself, whether it's a credit card, a mortgage, or whatever, that they don't go on for all of your life. And in our financial planning as a church, whatever we incur in the future will always have a time limit to it. Because that's a biblical thought. What the world wants to tell you is get a credit score, which actually we should change it to a debt score, Get a credit score so that you can go on incurring debt. And so long as you meet the payments, that's the only standard. But actually, the Bible has a different standard. And let me tell you why. In Deuteronomy 15, financial cancellation will do something psychologically in your mind and also emotionally. It will take pressure off you so you begin to see other possibilities. In verse 4, it says, there'll be no poor amongst you. And actually what it says is, is that you, you become so free that we begin to be able to help people. Now I know some people will, will immediately go to the New Testament and Jesus' words where he says, the poor will always be with you. But what this is teaching is, look, in your sphere of influence, you can change things that you just think are a given. It starts changing your mindset. And then in verse 5 and 6, it tells us that that God will teach us that his ways actually work. I mean, come on. Let, let's, let's just be honest for a minute. Sometimes when we talk about the way that Christianity works, some of us are going, I think this is true, but I, I know it's true in theory. If you cancel some things off your life, you're going to learn that these things actually work. And you'll go, God, this is great. It works. It says, if you're careful to obey all the commands that I give to you today. You know, if you, if you finan- get into debt cancellation, financial cancellation, you won't feel ruled and a pawn in other people's game. That you won't, you won't feel like, well, you know, I, I'm paying that because I have to. But actually, you begin to feel stronger about yourself. In fact, God says you'll rule over nations and they'll borrow from you. But the real key to financial cancellation is it teaches you generosity. Now, can I just talk to the British people or people with a British mindset? When we mention the word generosity often, what happens in our minds is, is that we British people go, are you calling me stingy? Are you saying we have to be generous because you think I'm stingy? We're not saying that. What we're saying to you is this. If you'll cancel some things, God will teach you a new way of living 
where you can bless people and be generous to things that you never dreamed that you could. And your life will make a difference and an influence. But you know, there's a really flip side of living that I want to give you. If you get into financial cancellation, where you're not just meeting your obligations and you're on a treadmill, you start living a different side of life where, you see, the danger in becoming financially responsible is you start trusting in your financial responsibility and not walking by faith. Lots of people who've got lots of commitments, start believing God and say, God, I trust you for this, and God starts providing. And once God starts providing, and you start become freer, you start trusting in your financial security instead of your security in Christ. So there's a great danger, but a great way of living. Because when you become more free financially, God can start speaking to you about where you should send your money. And it becomes a a really exciting journey of being able to say, God, are you really saying that? I was listening to somebody from Willow Creek Church, and they were so rich that it doesn't matter. They could buy any car in the world. That's how rich they were. Can you imagine that? I mean, think of some of those Italian, a Bucati or whatever you guys make. You know, I mean, we, we, British, British was British Leyland, the ambassador. You know, that's what we came up with, whereas the Italians came up with Ferrari. But anyway, you could buy any car in the world, not just, Lord, give me the money for a car, but Lord... Which car do you want me to have because I can afford any car in the world? You see, it's a different way of living. I didn't really ask him what car he bought. I mean, I hope it wasn't a Vauxhall Zafira or something. Uh, Excuse me, if you drive a Vauxhall Zafira, they're very nice cars. You see, what God wants to do is bring you to a place where you're hearing him rather than just saying, oh God, help me, oh God, help me. The difference is is that your life will be governed by where the Spirit's sending you. In Deuteronomy, it actually says, don't listen to that thought that when it comes up to debt cancellation time that you say you don't want to lend anybody money because they might cancel the debt and then you've lost your money. Actually, trust me with your wealth. Trust me when you've got more. Financial cancellation is not about the money. It's about you living to a higher purpose and not being driven by other people. Hey, I know that that's kind of a kind of different type of teaching. But can I hear an amen and you're with me? You know, anybody who's offended, come and see me afterwards. And I'm saying this is a long-term thing, but can I place this in your mind? And the key principle is limit, time limit, the things that you're indebted to. Don't just assume that you should pay them for the rest of your life. Now that will change the way you live. If you try and pay things off more, it means you won't have other things for a while. 
It changes the way you live, but it makes you free in the long run. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back, if you don't mind. Can I say to you that you are one decision away from cancelling? Because cancellation takes place in your mind and in your heart before it takes place out there in reality. That person who you're holding that grudge against, it's now, right now, that you set them free in your heart. That debt, that financial debt that you've been carrying for years, it's today when you say, you know what, I don't think I should do that. I'm going to cancel it. You see, I want to be careful with this teaching, but these cancellations can be linked. They can be linked. People who don't allow God to cancel their sin can often fall in to the fact that their family always goes a certain way and that their family always goes a certain way and hold grudges and then they are unwise with their finances. You see, these cancellations, these four areas are often linked. Not always so. I'm not saying if you carry a debt, it means you're an unforgiving person. Why don't you stand with me, if you will? But it's your decision today to say no more. In fact, why don't you do that with me? Just put your hand out like this and say no more. No more. So I'm going to ask a response from actually every single person. I wonder, could we just clear, push the chairs back a bit? And I wonder if all of us could just gather as a family at the front of the church as much as possible. Let's push these chairs back. And folks, will you just leave the seat where you're standing? I just want to ask you just to come forward. And as you come forward, what you're saying is, I'm cancelling some things on my life. Come on, let's start filling up this area. If that's, is that okay with you? Just push right in and, and be a part of things. Now, this will take a while. Come on, folks. You folks, even at the back, just, just come on forward, if you will. I know some of you are new, and it might be a bit strange for you, but just move a bit forward and just push right forward, folks, and so we can just be together as a family because I'm going to get you to pray for each other. Come as far forward as you can. Because today is the day to cancel some things. Can you hear an amen, church? Come, come forward, guys. Fill this space in. Just let some folks come with you. I said today is the day to cancel some things. Amen? First cancel. If this is you, just bow your head and pray it with me. Heavenly Father, I am sorry that I have sinned. I give you my sin. Forgive me. Give me your life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, just Heavenly Father, I am sorry for my sin. Forgive me. I did it. I give you my sin. Give me your life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, Why don't you just come and see me afterwards?
Now there may be some things in your family. Just raise your hand or just hold your hand out like this, like a cup. Say, God, I just want to receive from you now. I'm asking you to break off the things that I've received from my family that are not pleasing to you. I break them off now in Jesus' name. I'm sorry that I've carried them, but I break them off in Jesus' name. Come on, say that with me. I break them off. I confess them to you in Jesus' name. We cancel. Now here's where we want to do a little bit of ministry as a family. And if you're here for the first time, thank you so much for just going with us on this. But I wonder if you could just put your hand on somebody else's shoulder because you're going to pray into their life. I want you to pray over that person on your left and on your right. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Come on, say it loud over them so they can hear you saying it. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. We cancel that unforgiveness. Come on, pray over them again. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. We cancel that unforgiveness. In fact, why don't you look at somebody and say, forgive. Forgive. It's time now. It's time. Forgive. Last one. Just hold your hands up. God, we thank you for your provision. We thank you the way you've been providing for us. But God, give us wisdom about the debts we carry. You see, in Deuteronomy 15, it says, you cancel debts every seven years. See, that tells me that people had debt. It was not a sin to carry the debt. The sin was not to cancel it. The unwisdom is to let it go on and on and on and on so that your life is on a treadmill for the rest of your life so that you're paying extra money that you shouldn't be paying and God wants to give you wisdom to push that back so cancel debts in time Lord come on pray that with me cancel debts in time your time not the bank's time or my my time that isn't wise Lord cancel debts on time and in time can we say that Lord cancel debts on time and in time